Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. We are currently offering two in-person services each Sunday. We have a 9 a.m. worship service as well as a 10.30 a.m. family service for parents and children to attend together. We are also live streaming our 9 a.m. service on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and on our website. We'd love to have you join us however you feel most comfortable, whether in person or online. And now, here is today's message. Uh, we're, I'm going to continue to talk about a topic that, honestly, I am very motivated uh, to talk about. It's, it's, it's truthfully a topic that is um, dear probably to all of us, and it's understanding who we really are, knowing yourself, and, and the Bible has a lot to talk, say about specifically this topic. So I hope you'll dial in and we'll go on this journey together in the weeks to come as well as today and laying the foundation of our identity. Now let me just give you a little recap. Uh, last week I talked about in the first week, who are you? Who are you? Who do you think you are? And, and, you know, it's like, what do we do with that enormous question? And what I shared was from Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27. I'm not going to put that on the screen, but it's this. That you are an image bearer of God. You're an image bearer of God. Talked about that and how you are to image him to the world. And how people are to see the, the, the heart of God. In fact, ways we image God is what? Our, this is easy to remember. Ways we image God is our head, our heart, and our hands. Our head, we image God through knowledge and understanding the scripture, okay? Our heart, we have these emotions that when we see things that are delightful, we delight in them emotionally. When we see things that are foul, such as uh, storming the Capitol this last week and some of the riotous stuff, and, and we, we feel things that well up inside of us, and hopefully we are, it's, 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 we are imaging God through our emotions that honor God. And then our hands to help the world to touch and impact lives. It can be as simple as what? Giving a cold drink of water or blessing somebody on the street. It could be a neighbor taking something to the neighbor and helping them. So those are ways that we image God. Now today, in this topic of laying the foundation of my identity, it's, here's the concept, guys. The concept is that if you're going to build a house, the foundation is critical, isn't it? It just is. It's, it's a critical deal. And if you don't get the foundation right, it can create all kinds of dilemmas later. And the likelihood that it will have issues, the house issues to, for years to come, is, is real. The same goes for humanity. And the reason... One of the key reasons I believe we have issues, and culture has issues, is because we don't truly understand who we are. And so if we can get this and wrap our minds around it by God's grace, this is going to be helpful for years to come and hopefully until you meet Jesus face to face. So, with that said... I don't know uh, about you, but we all love a good biography. Is there a biography that you've ever read that you go, that was an awesome biography? Anybody? Online, you can type it in. Uh, anybody read a bio and you're like, wow, that was awesome. What's that? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, there's great 
bi- bios of people. Anybody else? Bios that you read? Watchman Nee. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watchman Nee. That's, yeah, that's great. So, biographies. Um, it's, uh, we admire, respect, and often we aspire to even emulate these individuals. And a biography is a person's life, accomplishments, their determination. And, and we look at that in a, a biography as the person who rescued uh, her, his or her own self from some terrible fate. And in a biography, we overlook sin, and we often, we, we take someone and we make them into a mythical savior, so to speak, and that explains, and that probably explains something when we think about bios. We overlook many times the flaws and the issues, and we just look at their good or great accomplishments. But this is probably what explains why in bios, people often overlook things, and specifically scripturally, Abraham, he gave his wife away twice to another man. Imagine, men. If you said, hey, baby, you know, I'm going to hook you up with this person over here. I mean, you would be like, what are you talking about? This is somebody who's in the what? Who's in the cloud of witnesses, a hero of the faith. Okay? Yeah, great men of faith. Noah passed out drunk and naked in his tent. And King, the great King David suggested a political assassination from his deathbed. It also explains why many people are unaware that Gandhi is bisexual, who left his wife with a male, to live with a male bodybuilder, and he enjoyed sleeping with underage nude girls. So, think about this. Christian leaders, John Wesley, A.W. Tozer, David Livingston, some of you know these names, you've studied them, Hudson Taylor, were all horrific husbands and fathers. Grossly neglecting their families. William Wilberforce, who fought for the abolition of slavery, what? Struggled with an opium addiction. Okay? I'm, bear with me. I'm taking you somewhere here. Okay. Yes. Yes. A testimony, on the other hand, those are bios. A testimony, on the other hand, is about Christ. It's about Jesus. His life, his accomplishments, his determination. So we have biographies. And we have of you, of me, of others. And we have a testimony which is about Christ. Which is about Jesus. Jesus is the hero in this testimony. In the testimony, Jesus is the hero who rescues us from the terrible fate of what? Sin, death, hell, and just, the just wrath of God. In a testimony, sinners should be honest so that it's clear who the real Savior is. The reality is, is we all have messed up lives to some degree, right guys? We all have some messed up life issues. And, and so most of us have heard about the first created man, Adam, and Adam's sins, and subsequently our sin has brought much pain and all of that. And uh, Paul called Jesus... Adam, the first man, what? The first Adam. And Paul, in his writings, calls Adam, Jesus, the second Adam. Because he is the what? The remedy for idolatry. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says this. The first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Okay? So... There are a lot of ways to categorize. You categorize me, categorize us. 
And the Bible really only has two categories. Those whose identity is in the first Adam and those whose identity is in the second Adam. So, in the first Adam, we share in his defeat. And those who are in the second Adam, Christ, share in his victory. This is big kingdom concept stuff, if you can wrap your mind around, around it, early on Sunday morning. In Jesus Christ, God became a man and shows us what it looks like to live a perfect life in unceasing worship out of an identity as God's image bearer. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. Here's a little imagery of who Jesus is. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. What is that? The good news of Jesus. They don't understand this message about what? The glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of what? The invisible God. He existed before anything was created in the supreme overall creation. Look at Hebrews 1.3. The Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. One more. John 12, 45. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who what? Sent me. You see, we, we, have, we have the first Adam. We have the second Adam, Christ, who is the very essence and image of God in the flesh. And we are incapable of knowing how to image God until we look at the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, what we would say is the Trinity, and Jesus in particular. And so we're going to look at today, if you have your Bibles, you can also follow along in the YouVersion app, and I put the uh, notes in there for you, and you'll see that there's two events there. It's because I, put, I keep last week's notes in there, and then I put the, this week's notes in there, so it gives you a little chance to either catch up um, or follow through with those notes. But we're going to look at the Trinity and specifically Ephesians. Um, this book is about constructing as you study it, the identity, your identity in Jesus. Ephesians is about constructing your identity in Jesus through his word. And it's a practical journey through what? One thing, and that is this. Who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. And so, my goal in this time and in the weeks to come is to take one massive need in your life. And that massive need in your life is need for identity. And you can connect it to one book in the Bible, Ephesians. In fact, let me give you just a little bit of what people thought about this. Clinton Arnold, a leading scholar on Ephesians, says, Paul wrote this letter to affirm the Ephesians in their new identity in Christ as a means of strengthening them. Do you need strength today? New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass says that the main purpose of Paul's letter is identity formation. Another theologian says, union with Christ gives human beings a radically new identity. We have put off the old self, the old humanity, and, and have put on the new. And so Ephesians is going to be huge for you, for me, for us, in understanding and knowing our identities. And uh, 
for years I've sat with people in counseling sessions. Um, I'm not a formal counselor, but I've sat with people and wrestled with helping them and, and hoping that Jesus, as they meet Jesus, they can experience life transformation. And I constantly see people who, who wrongly and earnestly seek to change their behavior. They, you try to change. I won't do that tomorrow. I won't do that the next day. I won't do that the next day. But the problem and the reason their behavior doesn't change is because what? They don't understand who they are. Identity is central to that. But God knows that when you, what you do flows from who you are. And this is big. As Christians, we live from our identity, not for our identity. We are defined by who we are in Christ, not what we do or fail to do for Christ. This is big. Christ defines who we are by who he is and what he is and what he's done for us. In us, through us. Understanding this information, to me, has been key. And so, let me give you the foundation and let's look at who's written this. Paul. You guys have heard of the Apostle Paul, right? You've read a little bit about Paul. If you're a Christian or been a Christian for any length of time, you know a little bit about him, right? I'm assuming in Bible school and stuff, you maybe had some classes that might have had Paul in it. And uh, today, when we're struggling with issues such as identity and idolatry, we talk to what? If we're struggling with identity and idolatry, we talk to a friend or a family member, maybe a counselor or a church leader, and that can be helpful. But imagine if you actually could talk and listen to Paul today. Well, isn't that great? We're, that's what we're going to do. Imagine if we could just sit down with him and listen to what he has to say. And the good news is, Merry Christmas, you get to, and that's in the book of Ephesians. And so if you will actually take and look at and read the book of Ephesians, you will find the very one that will add insight and counsel and hope into your life. Ephesians was originally a letter to a church, and like all letters, letters it gets confusing, and, um, and, and you can get all caught up in some of the details and so forth, but the Apostle Paul, as he was writing this, um, is a towering figure in world history, and Martin Luther called him the wisest man after Christ. And you'll understand why as I go through this particular series on knowing you. In roughly a decade of ministry, do you know this? Here's a little background. A decade of ministry, Paul walked an average of nearly 20 miles a day, preaching a message hated by almost everyone. Almost everyone hated what he had to say. He was single, no comfort of a wife, no chestnuts roasting on an open fire. <laughs> he was often alone and abandoned by so-called friends, and his account of his life was brutal. In fact, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. And if you want to know what inspires Paul's writings, you can take a look at a man who's got a biography, not solely of himself, but one who, who has now a testimony of what God can do. And I'm going to jump on down here, and he says, I've worked harder sounds boastful, but it's not when you get to see and understand. He goes, I worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. 
Five different times the Jewish leaders. This is, this is you look at this, and, and as, as I was reading and studying this, I'm like, I can't make this stuff up. If this were your life, we might just take some arsenic and call it a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you'd be like, you, you'd be like I, I must be out of God's will. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. I think if I had 39 one time, I might want to call it a day. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. What? You ever get on a ship, ever get on a plane and go, gosh, four times we had a plane wreck. Once I spent a whole night, a day, and a day adrift at sea. Just put yourself in the ocean, adrift, right now. Not during the day, overnight. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the Texas cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for you. All the churches. Who is weak without any feeling, without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? This is, this is Paul in his life, in his reality. Paul faced stuff that you and I would look at and go, that sounds like hell. But there's something unique about Paul in the second Adam in Christ. Paul was taught by renowned Rabbi Gamaliel and spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and possibly Latin. He wrote 13 letters over a period of at least 15 years at least seven, to at least seven different churches and two individuals. He is the greatest theologian, in my estimation, in all of Christianity. So that's Paul. This is where you're going to begin to find your identity. If if this man has gone through what we just read and he could write these books and still love Jesus and lay his life down, there's something to that. Or he was a madman and he was crazy. Well, I know that not to be true. So, so then that's Paul. Now, Ephesus, because this book was written to the Ephesians in Ephesus. And in Paul's day, Ephesus was this large metropolitan or cosmopolitan city of about 250,000 people. And it was highly spiritual. It was pagan. Um, they worshipped um, all kinds of different gods. Uh, it, was, it was a place known with spiritual warfare, spiritual power, and demons. It was also known as a supernatural place where supernatural things, paranormal activities, were happening in the worship of the god, god Artemis, involving demonic activity, sorcery, witchcraft. The city was wealthy because of the trade the banking centers, it was a tourist destination, pagan temples and all that. In fact, it was one of, the, at the time, seven wonders of the ancient world. So this is where we're going, to, we're going to find identity. 
It was steeped in political corruption and sexual sin. Sound like someplace? So why does that matter? Because so many people think the Bible was written to fishermen in small rural areas. And farmers who lived in these simple lives and and they were way less complicated than a pandemic and living in the greater Austin area. And we think, ah, oh, the Bible's not relevant because it was just to these fishermen in these lowly places and so forth. And, and so the reality is, Christianity is rooted and flourished in difficult urban contexts where people struggled with the same things that you and I do. They're wrestling with pagan issues like you and I do. The example of Ephesus is that In my estimation, Christianity can flourish even in a pagan Austin. Um, And and in this pagan culture, Christians can maintain, you can maintain your identity in Christ. And that's what's going to be huge for our culture is understanding um, in such cultures uh, that this can be passed on down, our identities in Christ for generations by the grace of God. But here's what I want you to know about Ephesus is that it's in modern-day Turkey, and it is one of the most pagan, anti-Jesus cultures in the world. And this was the hub for the movement of Christianity. And so, that's a warning that faith can be lost from one generation if you're not careful. And had the gospel, this is big, I don't know if you knew this about Ephesians and, and, and Paul and Ephesus, had the gospel of Jesus not taken root in Ephesus and spread from there across the Roman Empire because of the, the, the tradeways and so forth, on the trade routes and beyond, Christianity as we know it may not even exist. But Paul reaches in and he writes to this group in Ephesus, and he explains himself and about Christ. And so why did Paul write, F- write Ephesians? It's most likely written to Christians from pagan or Jewish backgrounds who were tempted to go back to their former sinful lifestyles. And Paul, Paul's letter articulates this, their unified identity in Christ. And reminding them to what? Live their lives patterned after Jesus in holiness and righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit. To guard them from what? Ignoring their new identity. If you can be distracted, if you can become distracted, dissatisfied, if you can become so, so messed up in culture, you'll forget who you are. You'll look at the news, you'll read the, you'll read the tabloids, you'll, you'll get on social media, you'll be around every, and you'll, and literally, you'll forget your identity, and Paul is saying to us, he's saying to them then, don't forget who you are in Christ, and don't forget culture today, Christians, who you are in Christ. So it wasn't just uh, solely, though, written for the church in Ephesus. It was a place where it would go as a, from the, what would be considered the hub or the headquarters from which Christian truth and training went out to churches in the region and beyond. But, get this, in the city of Ephesus, Paul was hated, run out of town, rioted against, and likely imprisoned. What was it that Paul did? What was it? 
What truth did he tell that was so powerful that the spiritual, political, and economic leaders despised and opposed him? What is so horrific about living in faith? What's so horrific about standing for Jesus? What's, what is it? Why is it that they're doing all of these things to this man who is full of the Spirit of God, proclaiming the message of Jesus? What's the big deal? Why? What did he teach that was so threatening to a culture as exalted and enduring as the Roman Empire? That, I mean, what, what, is, what is it that threatens the Roman Empire? Come on, Paul. What made his message such a threat to the great city of Ephesus? In two words. Two words make his message a threat. In Jesus. Or in Christ. In Christ. The message to our culture about believing in God doesn't mess with people. Because people go, yeah, whatever is God. Whatever is God. You can have God. You can have God here. God is this. God is that. You're God. But in Christ, in Jesus, changes everything. In Christ. The two words, in Christ, changed the world and are the summary essence and totality of our identity. Simply put, either your identity is in Christ or your identity is in idolatry. Either your identity is in Christ or your identity is in idolatry. John 15, 5 says this. Yes, I'm the vine, Jesus speaking, and you are the branches. Those who remain in who? In me, and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what Paul does throughout Ephesians is speaks of believers as being in Christ. What? In Christ, 12 times overtly, and 22 other times in various forms. So, let me read to you Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and give you a little idea of how important it is. And again, we'll break this down in the weeks to come more so. But listen to this. What are the words that you have to remember today? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. That is, in the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives other than, you are in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Next. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he favored us in the beloved. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he sat forth in him. In what? Go back. In 
Christ. Next. Regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ. Do you, you see a ripple here? You see a theme here? You see what Paul, what Paul is doing is he's, he's laying a foundation that literally changes the, the, changes the trajectory, changes the, the, the landscape of literally Christianity for the world and for you today those of you online, regarding his plan to the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heaven, I'm sorry, I I read through that already, but things in the heaven and things on the earth, next. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things in accordance with the plan of his will. To the end of that, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ, what's that? The anointed one would be to the praise of his glory. In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in what? In Christ, with the Holy Spirit of the promise. Lastly, who is a first installment of our inheritance? In regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This is life altering for the New Testament church. Those that would take this message from Ephesus and take it through channels to the, throughout the Roman culture and who would read this, they would sit and ponder. In fact, to the point where they understood the phrase in Christ and its variations, such as in the Lord or in Him, do you know that in Paul's writing it occurs just roughly over 216 times? 216 times. In fact, um, one Bible commentary goes as far as to say, from my perspective, in Christ far outstrips the term Christian in describing Christianity. Aside from the fact that Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, the title, that title shows, or title allows, for an ambiguous interpretation. It can mean one who has a specific cultural affinity, or the Western tradition, or the one who lives on one side of barbed wire and is killing those on the other side. Do you understand what we're seeing? You are seeing the church who calls themselves by the name Christian going over this fence. And because they have this particular ideology and life and so forth, they look over at the other side of the fence and they spew hate. Why? Because calling yourself a Christian doesn't change anything. This is big kingdom concept. It doesn't change anything. Get that. One side, one person who lives, you could be, 
You could be a Christian, call yourself a Republican, call yourself a Democrat, call yourself an independent, call yourself moderate, do whatever. But here's the thing. In Christ leaves no such abuse because it demands reflection on a dynamic living relationship. You can't be in Christ. You can't walk in the anointing of Christ and live in a hateful relationship with your spouse, with your coworkers, with the people down the street. You can't run into the Capitol and hurt people because you are in Christ Jesus. You can't watch the evening news and go, I hate them in Christ. As a Christian, you can say, I'm a Christian, yeah, yeah. And, and you can go, but, I, but Jesus still loves me. That's ambiguous. But not in Christ. In Christ, everything. In Christ, to me, is vital for all of us, all those who believe to experience and understand Because that's, to me, the one thing that changes everything. There's no such abuse because it demands reflection on a dynamic dynamic and living relationship. So here we go, and then I'm done. At the end of the day, Paul's concept of being in Christ is so central to this thriving, victorious life that if we are not in Christ... It explains why we're living in fear and anxiety and anger and hate and pride and addictions because you're either living in the shadow of the first Adam or you're living in the victorious life of the second, Jesus Christ. At the end, this victorious life is central. It explains why so many of us wrestle. So what, what is what my hope is? Is we go through Ephesians and what it has to say about our identity. I pray that you'll experience, and I'll continue to experience in my life, this freedom that comes in understanding and believing in faith, the truth of our identity. That when somebody comes to you and says, who are you? Well, I'm Jason Hirsch. Well, I'm Steve well, I'm Nathan, well, I'm Zach, I'm, I know your name. Who are you? That, that in time, you'll take the two words that change the landscape for the world out of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, written by Paul, and we'll be able to say, I am in Christ. And if our actions, if our behaviors, if our passions, if uh, doesn't align then you may just be living a false identity. And you weren't even aware. In Christ changes everything. So as we do this, as we look at this, that you'll find this freedom in fully understanding and believing in faith, the true identity in Christ. And I hope that you will find victory over the stuff that we struggle with, such as idolatry, such as our loves and our passions that are way bigger um, oftentimes than living in Christ. And you'll find lasting victory by the grace of God. And what I would say is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will find victory and truly begin to know yourself. Okay. So here is, here is the, the challenge for this week. Because in the weeks to come, I'm going to break down knowing yourself and what it means to live and function in Christ. Because some of you are going, in Christ, what do, you, what do you do with that? 
you will have to come back so that we can break down what that means to function and live and breathe in Jesus. And then for those online and in in person, this next week, I would like you to read the book of Ephesians and I would like, I'm going to specifically ask that you read it in the New Living Translation because it will, it will probably become, I think it will become very, uh, it will just open your eyes in a way that you'll be able to read it in some modern language to under, fully understand it. So Ephesians, read it. New Living Translation, if you can, if you can't, don't sweat it, but, but I'd love for you to do that. And then next week when you come back, you're going to have a greater understanding as I begin to break down what Paul says is literally us living in that anointing and in his power. All right, bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, you are, you are um, in this time, in the, in, this, in the craziness of COVID, political unrest, straddling people, people spewing hate, and it's nothing new. It's been done for, well, since the fall of man. But Lord Jesus, we, you didn't come and die and lay down your life so that we could continue to function in the first Adam. You came and died to transform our lives and give us a testimony that we could never do it on our own. That at best we could write a good biography of being good and accomplishing things, but we could never remove our flaws and our sin and our garbage. But in Jesus, in you, like Paul said, in, in you, we live and move and have our being. That identity is very different. And Father, I pray that you begin to not, I believe that in this room and even those online, that what has happened is that, God, <laughs> we're often functioning as chihuahuas when you've created us as big, burly mastiffs for your kingdom. And we nip and bark. And we think, we think that we have it, and we have no clue, Jesus, what you have done in us and through us and we, God, would you illuminate by the power of your spirit this identity so that, God, we will walk in it, we will pray in it, we will, we, will, we will speak in it, we will hear in it, we will, God, literally be transformed by it. You came, Jesus, that we might have life and life abundantly, and, and Lord, you are wanting us to not just make it through each day, but thrive in each day. And make sure that the people around us have the message of hope that we will image to culture. Image to culture. Help us, God, to be your head, your heart, your hands in Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd like to invite you to join us on our YouTube channel Friday mornings at 10 a.m. for The Truthcast, a weekly podcast from Pastor Jason. We'd also like to invite you to download the brand new New Hope 365 app where you can access media, give, and keep up with everything happening here at New Hope 365.